Hey guys, I just want to start off by saying that this episode is brought to you by our brand new show sponsor, B-Pro Kennels. B-Pro Kennels was founded with a vision to create a premium dog box that was customizable to fit any of your needs and has your dog's safety as their first priority. It is built tough out of 100% aluminum and even gives you the option to power up with a solar panel and battery right in the box so you can charge your phone, computer, or e-collar. It is also built with endless storage so you can keep your guns, boots, and vests in a secure and lockable compartment so you don't have to worry about anybody taking them out of the box of your pickup. And finally, it has built-in LED lights to keep your tailgate bright during those late nights so you won't need a headlamp or a flashlight anymore when you're getting your dog into the box or putting storage away. Go check them out at bprokennels.com. This episode of the Upland Nomads podcast is brought to you by Kuga Vest. Kuga Vest is a lightweight and durable dog vest made of 1,000 denier cordura fabric. It is meant to protect the chest, back, side, and underbelly of your dogs from things such as briars, fencing, stubble, and any other type of vegetation or hazards you can run into in the field. Kuga Vest, it's serious protection for the active canine. Check them out at kugavest.com. That is C-U-G-A vest.com. This episode is also brought to you by Fit and Fetch Outdoors. Fit and Fetch Outdoors is a CBD soft shoe supplement for your dogs. This shoe has been life-changing for animals all over the United States. They're helping dogs sleep better, improving their appetites, and most importantly, easing the pain, which we all know is the most important thing when it comes to our hunting companions. I highly suggest you check them out. I use them on my own dog, and she does great on them. It releases her anxiety and everything. Check them out on their website, fitandfetchoutdoors.com. And do not forget when you check out to enter our code UPLAND10. You are now listening to the Upland Nomads podcast. Sit back and join us on our adventures. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Upland Nomads podcast. Join my co-host Michael, and we got a, another special guest for you today. We got Ben Proctor of B Pro Kennels, or as well as B Pro Welding. Hey Ben, do you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. It's uh, kind of exciting to, to jump on and chat with you guys. But uh, yeah, uh, my name is Ben Proctor. I am born and raised in Utah. A little bit about me, I. Recently, my wife and I, we bought my childhood home about a year ago. So we've been in the middle of renovating that and remodeling that. I got a little four-year-old girl and um, I have a metal fabrication company called B-Pro Welding that we do all sorts of metal fabrication. We do some design work. We kind of tackle anything from structural steel to what they call your exotic metals, which are more like your aluminum and brass and and stainless steel stuff like that so yeah that's kind of a, a thirty thousand foot view of of me and kind of what we do sweet so did you go uh, did you go to school for welding then uh kind of sorta um i guess the way it works is when you're not smart enough to be a doctor um you gotta pick another path so um but yeah i did high school high school welding for a couple of years and then when I was 20, I went and served uh, an LDS mission for my church. Um, I went to Texas. I lived down there for two years and just walked around and talked to people about Jesus. And then when I got back, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. Bounced around to a couple different jobs, but kind of ultimately kept thinking that I, I wanted to work with my hands. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it, being able to create stuff. So I, I enrolled in a local tech school and went through their welding program. And then immediately after that, I jumped into the workforce, started working for some companies, and then eventually kind of grew out of being an employee and jumped ship and went out on my own. That was probably four, five, four or five years ago, maybe six years ago. And uh, it's just been kind of steady growth ever since. So it's been, it's been kind of a fun, wild ride being my own boss and um, makes it kind of fun because you get to see every sort of aspect of the welding community, whether it's doing you know heavy equipment repair to doing big structural steel beams to super intricate 
you know, precision parts that you have to TIG weld to, you know, all sorts of weird random miscellaneous metals and brasses and bronze and, you know, kind of fun stuff like that. So it's been kind of a really fun career that has been, been a good choice so far. I took high school welding as well. No expert, not even amateur, I don't think. But uh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> well, you got the business. Uh, <laughs> what's uh, what would you say is like the hardest weld? Uh, so it really kind of it it kind of depends on the situation itself and kind of what it lends itself to. We've done anything from you know fixing you know, a side-by-side that was in the shop. And that ended up being really tricky just because of all the mechanical parts you have to be aware of all the way to um, going out and doing on-site TIG welding, which um, is what most people would refer to as the more technical, more challenging style of welding. Um, It's usually used for more like precision and more, uh, more of your tougher metals, your stainless, your, your aluminum, stuff like that, that requires TIG welding. So it kind of ranges all over the place, but typically your stainless steel and your aluminum are, are what people would consider your more challenging metals to weld. I say it, the farthest we ever got or I ever gotten was oxy welding. And that was, right. that, was a chal- yep. that was a challenge in itself in high school. So yeah. The nice thing is you just hire guys that are better than you and and let them <laughs> make you look good. So I've yeah, got some guys that work for me that are just total rock stars and they can handle anything that people can throw at them. So they always just make it look good and make me look like I know what I'm actually doing. So what do you think one of like the coolest, I know you said designs or like one of the coolest designs you think you've done while you've been working uh, on your own? Um, We've done a bunch of stuff for, it ranges all over the place from just building different components and different parts for machines that already exist. We built this kind of big, I guess you'd call it like a spider leg frame. It's eight feet tall by, you know, 10 feet wide. It has these big legs that has this machine that goes underneath it. And that required some, some design work that um, had some challenges to it. Cause you have to have this other machine that sits on top of it and they have to, they have to correspond with one another and, and sync up that way. We've done kind of cool stuff where, you know, a client brings me a bunch of exhaust parts and you have to kind of fit them together for, you know, high-end performance cars. And those are always really, really fun. We've done some, they're called security surveillance trailers. So it's basically like this rolling platform that has this big telescoping mass. You put cameras and lights, and all sorts of gizmos on it that way. And that has some kind of fun, challenging design and engineering problems, but it's really kind of like almost every day is, brings a different challenge and takes a little bit of uh, creative thinking and problem solving to, to get the job done in a kind of classy and elegant way. If you ever find yourself in North Dakota, there's a highway they call the Enchanted Highway, and it's all like welded different figures. Like there's pheasants and there's like oh no way a thing of geese and what else is there, Michael? Well, I actually ended up I talked to that guy once before, and uh, when I was out hunting down there, he actually owned the hotel that uh, I was staying at. And at that time, he was in the process of creating a giant metal dragon. No way. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's it pretty quite sweet. The, it's quite the, and like each, there's like, was there, I think there's five like statues, like uh, welded statues that he's got on the Enchanted Highway. It's like 30 miles long, maybe. No way. Like, and where is that at? In North Dakota? Southwest North Dakota. Yeah. Okay. Right in prime pheasant Super hunting country. Cool. I think there's like parks too, like some of the parks you can like go and play on. Oh, that's kind of oh, yeah. cool. There's like fish. There's like a fish park. I think I have a picture of the fiance like climbing up the thing. So <laughs> leave it to the fiancés to climb on stuff. And yeah, just kidding. Lucky, lucky she didn't fall. She probably would have fell. But <laughs> <laughs> so kind of get into a little bit of your hunting. What kind of dogs do you do you run? So I have a six-year-old short hair. Uh, his name's Otto. He's a male. He's an idiot, kind of like me, but he's actually pretty awesome. And then we just recently picked up a female short hair. Uh, she's solid brown. She's only about seven months old. And she's, uh, her name's Scout. So really, I really haven't hunted any behind or with any other kind of dog 
it's just mostly been short hairs. Me and a couple of buddies have short hairs and that's kind of all we've ever known, but I'd love to, to get behind some setters. And I've always really liked Gordon setters. I always thought those were super cool looking, but yeah, just short hairs. Say so we had a couple of guys on the show that have said that they've liked, uh, they might possibly get Gordon setters here in the future. Yeah. I remember hearing one of those guys. I can't remember who that guy was, but when he uh, said that, I was like, all right. Yeah. That's, that's I'm a cool. bird chaser, I believe. Oh yeah. Maybe that was who it was. Yep. Yeah, I guess I don't even know what a what does the Gordon Setter even look like? It's it's black and brown, isn't it? They're black with like some some brown markings. It's almost like if you were yeah. to take like a Rottweiler and then turn it into a setter. They have like okay. a Rottweiler style coloring. That's what I kind of thought they more had, of like a setter. So I don't know. I think they look super cool. Yeah. I say I have I fell in love with the GSP and I can't I don't know if I'll ever go back. But I, I know one of my, such awesome dogs. They're really pretty. That's mine's barking upstairs right now. Probably at <laughs> some kid playing across the park. But yeah, I do. Michael's got me kind of on the cocker train, though, too. I keep seeing the field bred cockers and they always look interesting, too. They'd be fun to have, like, you know, just a, if you're probably just going to be in a, a flushing area where it's like thick cattails and stuff where I lose my GSP in. Yeah, cockers on the on the high on the list as well. My wife wants a smaller dog that can be more of an inside dog, and I don't know if she's ever going to allow me to. It might just be one of those things where I just buy it and hope for forgiveness later. I say they are fun dogs. Yeah, they're super cool. I like those cocker spaniels. I'd say Michael's little ball of energy. She's she's fun. Yeah, she's a fun. How old is that one, too. Michael? Uh, she's a year. Oh, super cool. Yep. So my cousin just got one too. I think she's seven months old. Yeah, I've heard she, those dogs are just so fun to hunt behind and such fun little personalities. Yeah, it's yeah, nice to see them going. And I uh, and the cattails are small enough they can just kind of took her a while to get used to that once I started first taking her out, but she realized very soon that she can just sneak underneath all the cattails. <laughs> have to try to run through them. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you were at Pheasant Fest, right though, Ben? Yep. Yep, this was the first year that we went, and uh, it was awesome. I had such a fun time. It was it was super fun. My booth was right across the aisle from uh, the guys with the flush, so that was fun to kind of rub shoulders with them and chat with them. The guys on the other side of the aisle was a sporting apparel company called Jaeger Outdoors, and they had a bunch of drawers there with them, and so that was kind of fun to just sit there and play with dogs all day long and yeah, people come check out the the big aluminum dog box. So it was it was a blast. We walked by we walked by about every place and we're like, oh, there's that place. Been looking for that all day. Whoops. Yeah, it was funny because I I really wasn't even sure if I was going until just a couple of weeks before we went, and so it was kind of this mad dash trying to scramble to get everything ready to build this like backdrop display, get banners printed, and so I had like bunch of marketing material that was supposed to get printed that never did i kind of just kind of crowbarred myself into this corner booth and uh, i didn't do a whole bunch of marketing or branding or anything like that so unless you know what you're looking at with this dog box it's kind of deceiving you don't really know what you're looking at it's got all these lights on it and doors and whatever and and uh my logo for my welding company is which that's kind of who we went as was b pro welding um, we hadn't quite finalized any of the business side of the house for the kennel company, but so B pro welding, it's got this kind of old vintage style logo. And I guess for whatever reason, a bunch of people thought it was this like barbecue. Uh, Cause it had, it said B pro welding, but I guess the, the type font in B pro kind of looked like barbecue. So a bunch of people came up and they're like, Oh, this is like a, like a barbecue. Yeah, no, <laughs> this is just a dog box. And so it's kind of funny that I was like, well, yeah, I probably should do some better branding and marketing and tell people what it is before they before they walk up. But it was kind of funny. It was a good show, though. Yeah. So we actually we didn't connect there. We kind of connected afterwards on yeah on, Insta- on Instagram. But and you didn't have the kennel page yet as well. Right. Getting it yep. getting into your kennel page now. I guess. Yep. I say it's one of the. I think it's one of the better looking ones out there. Yeah, thanks so I'd, much, man. That really that means a lot. And I say it's like really sharp looking. I mean, I looked at a few like at Cabela's or I guess I never even really thought about looking at one. And I saw yours and I was like, oh, that's that's really sweet looking. I wouldn't have to take my kennels in and on my house. 
Right. I could just put it in the back of the truck. That was part of the origin of, of it is that people spend all this money on on guns and dogs and trucks. And then there's some really good brands that build dog crates and they're, you know, typically made out of plastic, some sort of rotoformed plastic. And there's phenomenal companies out there that build some super tough and durable kennels. But for me, it was like, at the end of the day, it's just a plastic box. Like it's got no soul to it. It's got no design. It's got no, you know, there's nothing else to it. It's just this plastic box. For me, it was like, I want something that looks cool, is super strong and durable, is going to protect my dog, but then it has to do something else. It can't just hold my dog. You know, it has to hold some gear. It has to have some sort of lights. It has to, you know, I want to paint it to or powder coat it to match the color of my truck or my favorite football team or, you know, whatever. So part of it was it has to perform, right? It has to be just as strong as anything else, but then it has to be cool. You know, why can't you have something that's functional and cool? I think I'd be getting some weird looks if I showed up with, if I didn't have a top around and I showed up with a maroon and gold or a purple and gold uh, (laughs) dog box with my ruined Chevy Silverado. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look, <laughs> we get some looks. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not in today's culture. Maybe they'd say, yeah, more power to that guy. Maybe. i say maybe if I had uh, green and gold for NDSU, the bison, they'd probably right. accept me here in North, in North Dakota. But Yeah, but the problem with green and gold is then people think you're a Packers fan. For sure, and I don't want that either. Yeah, that's, so. <laughs> that's a big no-no. So how long have you been in the process of uh, designing and making the kennels? Uh, just a couple of years. So it kind of started with um, our first trip to South Dakota. Me and some buddies went, uh, that must have been four or five years ago. And uh, the first year we went, we just took the regular plastic crates and we did that whole whole route. And the next year it was like, hey, I want to build something. You know, I have a fab shop. I have a metal shop. Might as well build some kind of cool dog box for our trip. So I built this dog box and it was like the size of a battle tank. Like it was so big. I had no idea what I was doing as far as sizing or anything like that. You probably could have stuffed a dozen short hairs in each one of the doors. And (laughs) it was just a battle tank. And looking back, it was atrocious looking. It looked so bad. But, you know, first time you build one, you're like, oh, this is so cool. I love it. Awesome. So that was the first one. And then then the next year, um, it was like, okay, that was way too big so let's scale it down a little bit and let's add some features to it let's you know add some some shape to it so it looks kind of cool and uh and then we took that one out that was last year that we built made that one and that's the one that had the solar panels and the lights and all that storage but even that one was still a little bit too tall and so then this last year it was kind of one more chance to, to scale it down a little bit more kind of uh, redesigned some of the the hinges and latches and kind of some of the moving parts kind of dial in the wiring and solar panels and all that stuff so it's been kind of a process but this last revision was the last one where I started to get a lot of comments where people were like hey I really like that dog box you know you should start selling them and it was always like this nah I'm not really too interested in, in that it's mostly just for me but then I started to get a lot of people that were like, no, really, you should, you should try to sell these. And so I started doing some research and seeing what other companies were out there and what, you know, what other aluminum dog boxes were like. And there really wasn't anything out there that looked really cool, performed really well, and to, to a certain extent was customizable and had all these kind of cool features that there's some dog boxes out there that were made out of aluminum and then they just slapped these just giant led pods for little light bars or whatever you know it was almost like they they did it as an afterthought whereas for me it was like i want to design it into the box where it looks like it was meant to go there it has some design element where it doesn't look super clunky and super trashy that was kind of the origin was just trying to just trying to make something that looks super clean and served more than one purpose I say I like the feature on one of your kennels. I think I'd probably do it the opposite way. I think you had like shells on top of the dog box or on top of the yep. dogs. 
I say, I think for me, I'd have it like kind of like a deck box underneath. But that yeah, was, for sure. That was how I was going to do it. Or like, yep. if and I, the cool I thing is, customizing a metal my... shop is, you know, whatever you want. Well, great. That's exactly how we're going to build it for you. Yeah. So, and how how deep are your like? Can you fit a shotgun in there? Uh, yeah. So the the way that this the one that I've been posting the most pictures of, it's forty eight inches wide, which is basically the sheet of a plywood. Uh, so it fits right between your wheel wells. So going perfectly straight across, it's not quite long enough for a shotgun, but if you just turn it at an angle, it fits in perfectly. But then, like I said, with, with us being a full fab shop, we can make it to whatever size you want. Um, we can make, make it where it sits above your wheel wells. And then obviously that gives us enough room that way that you can fit shotguns uh, all the way through it. Nice. Kind of whatever, whatever the client wants is how we're going to build it. It is nice to have like the custom, the custom, side of it yeah because everybody everybody kind of has a different use case or a different need or a different size truck so the one that um, i've been posting the most pictures of is kind of our our cookie cutter if you will it fits most of the needs and it does it really well but some guys might like you guys have a topper on your truck some guys run those decked drawers some guys might not want the solar panel or the lights or they want three holes instead of two and uh so being able to be somewhat flexible and and nimble that way and and customize it so that it's this box fits you and your needs and it's designed for you and uh, it kind of makes it a little bit more special that way and a little bit more enticing to people that they don't have to fit their lifestyle around one piece of equipment they can you know mold this piece of equipment to fit their lifestyle it makes it fun that way yeah i don't know if a solar panel would do too hot in the back of a underneath a topper <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it needs a little bit of sunlight to for it to work. Right. So with those solar panels, are you able to have a customization to attach like a fan to keep the dogs cool in like the early season when it's still pretty warm? Yeah. Yep. So we run it's a brand called Goal Zero. They're just kind of a really ruggedized solar panel slash battery bank company. Uh, they make some really cool rugged stuff for backpacking and four wheeling and you know, kind of a more adventure style, adventure styled life. And so we couple their, their solar panel with one of their battery banks. And that battery bank has all sorts of power outlets. You have like the 12 volt car, like a cigarette lighter almost. And then you have like a 110 volt plug, like you'd see like in your house, it's got USBs, it's got all sorts of power. So depending on what you're trying to charge, whether it's collars or phones, or if you want to run a fan, or if you want to run like a heating element in the kennel, um, you got power on tap and that's kind of the, the appeal to that. And then depending on how crazy you want to get, maybe the little battery that we normally throw in isn't enough. So you just throw in a bigger, bigger battery pack and then it plugs right into the solar panel as well. And now you have even more power. So it's really beneficial. And that was kind of the whole conception of that was, you know, if this is going to be in the back of my truck, I want to be able to clear up some of the junk in my cab. So I want to be able to charge my collars in there. I want to, you know, if we're going out hunting one field and my phone's dead, I want to be able to plug it in. And when I get back, my phone's charged or, you know, charge my camera or yeah, run a fan. I wanted it to be more than just lights. I wanted to have power on tap to fit a bunch of different needs. So that'd just be sweet just for like, if you're going camping with a family too, you had to. Yeah. Yep. And it's it, easily removable. So yeah, like you said, if you're going camping and maybe you're not taking the dog box, well, great. You just unplug this this battery pack and now you can run you know your your fans or your laptops or whatever you want anywhere else maybe you're out tailgating and you just need some power to run the tv or whatever so so when you install these uh or when somebody installs these dog boxes do they like is there a way to bolt them down or are they like pretty much permanent in there once they go in or yeah, that, that that's a great question it really depends on your use case and how you want to use it we can attach tie down points to it that if you want to be able to strap it down, great. If you want to be able to bolt to it, you know, we can look up your truck and pull measurements and, you know, put hole placements right where your, where your bed mounts. And then you could put bolts right through the, through the kennel, right through the frame. It's really customizable that way. The way that I like to run it is I put a strap through that top storage down to the, down to my uh, anchor points in my bed. So, the strap actually goes through that top storage down each side, the, those little side compartment doors and, and anchors in that way. So I'll say another question for you on the kennel. 
Um, yeah. Are they like insulated? Yep. Yeah. So that's another option that people can choose depending on where they live and what their use case is. But the way that I have it set up is that it's really easy to insulate all the walls and it's kind of an a la carte. You don't have to choose all the walls. You can pick which walls you want to insulate. I found that for me and my use case with our climate and where we're at, if you, if you're looking at the kennel, all the walls that go front to back. So the two sides and then the interior wall that separates the two holes, I insulate those ones. Um, and we ran up to South Dakota the last winter or last fall, um, middle of November and it got really cold, but the dogs, when they're in there, they kind of produce enough of their own body heat and that insulation just kind of helps keep it in there. So they ended up staying really nice and comfortable. We had to have them stay in the, the dog box a few nights while we were traveling, but you know, when you, when you get them out to let them go to the bathroom and beat them in the morning, they were just nice and toasty warm. And so that kind of confirmed it for me that, that that was a sufficient amount of insulation, but maybe for you guys up in North Dakota, where you're kind of in that, in that winter hall all winter long, you know, some insula extra insulation might not be a bad idea. And uh, the other great thing is all the panels are removable. So if it's in the middle of summer and you want to get some more air movement in there and not quite so stuffy, you can pull that insulation out. It's really customizable and fits your needs. That's nice. Cause right now I just run a insulated kennel cover over his, right. His, uh, yeah. I mean, he does come out toasty warm from there too. Yep. But yeah. Those dogs, they, I mean, they're so I say, tough anyways, that you really, you really probably don't even need insulation in most cases, but you know, where they're the ones doing all the hard work and heavy lifting out hunting, you want to kind of take care of them and make sure that they're treated well. So I want to make sure that they're taken care of. Shit. I was going to buy like uh, Milwaukee fans and hang them from yeah. like the, the kennels just so you could get like, cause that was one of the other things that I ran into was this past September, like it was super hot. So trying to cool them down after. Right. They've been and out I running hate... forever and they're just super hot and you throw yeah, them into and... a stuffed up kennel and they just start overheating. That's and I hate, I hate him being in my truck. So that's <laughs> yeah, no joke, dude. Yeah. Cause then it smells like dog and then I don't have leather. So it... that short it's... hair sticks yeah, to everything everything it does vacuum out pretty decent but right right there and they're really... panting and there's slobbers everywhere and yeah i had one yeah. close call last year i thought i i thought i worked him too hard and then he just like like he couldn't jump up in the back of the kennel and i was like oh my gosh what the freaking right. rush you to the emergency room and then he got into the truck and i had the ac pumping and then he was fine and he was jumping right. all over the place and i was like no you're going back to your kennel you're fine yeah yeah, he knew what he was doing. He knew that if he if he played you hard enough that you'd put him in the cab. Oh yeah. I'm a sucker for that sometimes. Especially if I'm oh, yeah. hunting by myself. Especially if I'm hunting by myself, then I don't mind the company. But hey guys, just thought we could take a quick break here to let you know that this episode of the Upland Nomads podcast is also brought to you by Jeb's Choke Tubes and Mossy Oak Outdoor Dog. I highly suggest that you go check them out. Now let's get back to it. Also, kind of circling back to your first uh, anti-tank uh, kennel that you said you had. And <laughs> yeah. How much did that sucker weigh? It really didn't weigh that much. It's all aluminum. Um, okay. That one probably weighed 150. Oh, um, No, it, it really is light. Uh, the one that we have right now, even with the solar panels and battery and like all the all the stuff, it's probably only 120. Um, oh, sweet. That's just a little nice little easy deadlift. It really is. And you know, you guys are tough and rugged enough. You guys could probably just heave ho it and pick it up and put it in. I can put it in by myself, but I got to tip one side in and then walk around and pick up the other side. But it's really, it's really not bad, especially when you compare them to, you know, like the, the gunners, I think their biggest one, I think that one's 70 pounds. Yeah. I just watched a so, review on that one the other day, actually. So yeah, it is 70 pounds. That's put in half, but it's also like $800. So right. Obviously being in the, kennel business uh, for dog kennels and talking about a little before you obviously hunt so i'm going to kind of jump back into or jump into your hunting background yeah how and when did you kind of first get started hunting so i was first introduced to hunting pretty seriously when i was really 13 14 ish one of my really good friends growing up their family are total freaks about hunting and i mean that as a compliment but they do a lot of like big game hunting. They do a lot of elk and deer and they travel all over and they do some really cool hunts. And then as like a way to pass the time, they go pheasant hunting. 
And so I would go out with them all the time and go pheasant hunting. And when I was getting older and, you know, we were getting ready to get married, I was like, I want to get into bird hunting because, you know, it allows you to have a dog and it gives you kind of a reason to have a dog. And I have all these fond memories from being a kid, going hunting with my friend and his family. So I got a short hair and I kind of didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't know that Utah had any other species other than pheasants. I didn't know there was another game bird other than pheasants. And so I got this dog and then realized that Utah kind of sucks for pheasants. So you have to go to these like <laughs> preserves to go hunt pheasants. So like, man, this kind of sucks. Like as much as I love it, it's kind of a, kind of breaking the bank to go drop all this cash just to go shoot some birds. And that's when one of my good buddies, one of my best friends, his name's Nick. He's a total rock star. He's a freaking stud. And he's like, Hey, let's go try to shoot some of these grouse that are up in the mountains. And I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm game. Let's, let's go try to shoot these grouse. And that's turned into the funnest thing for me. That's, that's like our favorite thing to go do is shoot these mountain grouse. Um, you're just up in beautiful country, big, deep timber, and you're letting your dogs work and you're hanging out with your best buddies and you're shooting these birds. So that's kind of taken over the last couple of years is these grouse. And then we'll throw in chucker occasionally or things like that. But then, you know, we make this exodus to South Dakota every year and we'll have to, uh, an amendment this year and, and go up to North Dakota to shoot some birds with you guys. But it's really only been over the last maybe six or seven years that I've really gotten more serious about hunting and, and birds in particular. Hopefully that answered your question. I say it'd probably be a shorter drive for you, honestly, to go to, I, well, maybe not to go to Western North Dakota than it would be to go to, I'm sure you have to yeah, go to once central you, once or you east. The 12 hours of driving. It doesn't really matter. You know, I suppose. If, you, if you're driving 12 hours, it doesn't really make a difference to go 12 or 18 or 20 hours. It's just, it just sucks. Yeah, it does. Let's say but, even for like for me, Michael has got the short drive to prime pheasant habitat Elton, because North Dakota, he's got like a what hour and a half. Yeah. What, ex- what spot exactly is good, Michael? You were just getting ready to tell us the exact spot that was really awesome. <laughs> oh, you know, there's many. There's many around here. I can't even narrow it down to one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go all the way across. I live in the bar, like basically what was far east as you can get without being in minnesota i live right along the river that separates us but so i have like oh that's super cool yeah i have uh about a four hour drive we have uh we go out to southwest every year and we have like uh like our family hunt every year kind of go right so we've gotten to know quite a few people out there so that one gets to be pretty fun plus it's like one of the only times we hunt private i hunt private land so it the bird numbers are always usually really good. That would be but, fun. That would be fun to do some private land North Dakota or South Dakota hunts. Well, the nice thing with North Dakota is uh, if it's not posted, you don't. It's not e-posted. You can technically hunt it. Right. Yeah. That's one thing that North Dakota is a lot different than a lot of other states. I mean, usually if it's good, it gets hit anyway. But some people have quite a bit of land, so they don't post it all. So. That's crazy. Do do people give you any grief for that? Like, do the farmers show up and they're like, "Hey, this is my private land. You can't be here," or do they kind of know the? Do they kind of know the game that it's their land? They, and they, they didn't post it, so they have about the easiest way to post it. They can post it online now. So if like, and if they don't post it by like uh, stake and the sign, it's pretty much fair game. So they know the rules, and oh, they, gotcha. I mean, at least they should. I think a lot of people right. don't care because like Western North Dakota. And a lot of people in North Dakota are just friendly too. They're just there isn't a lot of people in West North Dakota. So you go and knock on somebody's door, they're usually really friendly. And if they don't want you hunting, they'll I mean that's the worst they can say is no. So right. A lot of people actually own quite a bit of land too. So like they just don't post everything. Some of it could be cattle pasture, but could still be pretty decent at some time. But it still has like a crick or draw running through it. So it's got it's got like that perfect habitat that pheasants like or sharp tails like or hungarian partridge like so right yeah for sure that was one thing that really blew me away with i hate lumping north and south dakota together but uh, i'm gonna do it anyways but when you head up that way the people are just so friendly like you know coming from utah they're, they're mostly friendly people here but different type of friendly when when you go to a gas station here in utah People are just polite and pleasant and they don't really ask you any personal questions, but 
when we were up in South Dakota, people are just like trying to chat you up and they're trying to figure out where you're from and, you know, trying to tell you about their best friend's cousin's dog that, you know, ran away yesterday. And gosh, this is awesome. I love just chatting with these people. Well, that's the nice thing about living in North Dakota. It's so flat. You can watch your dog run a day away for like a week. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Let him run away as long as he wants. And then just to get in the truck and drive down the road and pick him back up. I'm just kidding. It's, it's not that flat. It is flat, but yeah, <laughs> it's uh, one of those jokes that everybody says. Yeah. It's Western North Dakota. Term. Western North Dakota is a lot different. It's got uh, like chalky buttes and it's got the badlands in that right where i'm from everything's pretty flat but we got a lot of pretty decent hunting whether it's big game or or bird hunting yeah i would love to go do more more types of hunting out that way try to do a deer hunt or even waterfowl would be fun well you could get your waterfall and come in the fall october it's usually pretty decent for duck hunting yeah you don't you don't have to twist my arm. We, I, I don't do it. Michael would probably go with you. My brother would go with you for sure. He's, he's the one who's like, oh, my gosh, there's, there's speckle bellies out there. And I was like, hey, I'm driving the pickup. We're going pheasant hunting. So. Right. Well, I'm dumb enough to try anything once, so <laughs> I wouldn't mind trying waterfowl. Well, that could definitely it. be arranged. I've had my fair share yeah. in the past. <laughs> I'd say a lot yeah, of it out here it. is a lot of it out here is uh, field hunting, so. Lots of decoys and blinds. Oh, right, right. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. I say it's yeah. different. We've had a few people on that duck hunted and like they're from like the East Coast. So everything there was like boat, a boat and a blind. They oh, talked, right. about, talked about coming here and it was, he goes, you guys, they asked the permission for the farmer to hunt a, a pond that he had. And he's like, you know, is they're going to hunt the pond? You know, they're going to hunt the field? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Do whatever you want. Well, pretty much. They're just, there's so many, like, we're known for world-class waterfall hunting. That's why I think it'd be kind of fun to, you know, for the lack of, lack of better term, kill, kill two birds with one stone. If we're going to be up there, might as well do upland and waterfowl. Yeah, it depends where you go. I mean, yeah. I mean most North Dakota is usually pretty good, but some are better than others, so. Right. Don't want to give away all, all our hot spots hunting. <laughs> just <laughs> kidding. Everybody pretty much knows where the hot spots in North Dakota are anyway, so. Right. And so now kind of going back to you, uh, what do you all hunt out there in Utah? So as far as upland goes, we have uh, rough grouse, we have blue grouse, and those are usually up in the mountains, um, in the thick timber, the aspens and the pines. And then we have a lot of chucker. Chucker's really good out here. We have a really poor excuse for a pheasant population. In fact, probably more often than not, any pheasants that you actually do shoot are, you know, released by the state. And then we've got a little bit of quail down in southern Utah. We do have a, a small population of sage grouse, but that's more of a draw lottery system, similar to like a big game. And then supposedly we're supposed to have a really small population of huns, but I have never seen or heard anybody that's actually got one. So, and I'm sure I've, I've probably forgot something in there, but those are probably the heavy hitters as far as upland and then Utah's part of a really popular flyway for waterfowl but i've never really gotten into that and then utah is home to some phenomenal big game hunting whether it's uh, elk or deer or sheep all that kind of good stuff and we're kind of a kind of a hot spot for almost anything outdoor related especially hunting so it makes it a really fun uh, really fun place to live if you're a really avid hunter you can basically start hunting essentially early August all the way through, you know, late spring when, when turkeys end. And then you really only have a couple of months before something picks back up again. So also you do, do you fish much at all? Uh, not as much as I probably should or, or want to, but I've got a couple of buddies that are total freaks about fishing and Utah is home to some phenomenal fishing spots and rivers and lakes and, you know, you name it, you know, world-class fishing here. So. Uh, if you're a fisherman, Utah's another hot spot that you ought to come check off your bucket list. And we do a little bit though. I go fly fishing with some buddies, but I'm such an idiot that I have to go with buddies that actually know what they're doing. Cause even though I've gone, you know, a dozen times, it's still like, all right, what am I doing? You know, what, what goes where? And they're so good. They're like, okay, flip your fly right next to this log and you're going to get a bite. So 
you flip your rod there and boom, you get a fish biting it. And I just got buddies that are essentially wizards with, with fish and they know exactly where to go and how to do things. So it makes it yep. easy when you hunt with them. The same here. I don't fish very much. So, so with the sage grouse, uh, you said it was like a lottery. How many, yeah. do you, do you get to shoot just like one or what's the limit you can shoot when you get that lottery? You know, I'm probably the world's foremost expert on this subject. So it's a good thing you asked me, which means that I have absolutely no idea. But I, I want to say that with the way that it's set up, you probably only get to shoot one because it's probably more similar to like a big game where you get, you know, a mule deer tag or elk tag. You only get to harvest one of those. Um, but I could be mistaken. You might be able to get maybe two or three or something. like that. They, they probably have a bag limit. But I do know it's more regulated like a big game lottery system than it is, you know, where Utah, you just buy a small game license and you can shoot any of the upland birds it's it's treated more more like a limited entry lottery system so do yourself just hunt upland then um honestly probably yeah i would i would probably say that i'm mostly just an upland hunter although it wouldn't be uncommon if i went out for elk or deer or something like that but uh it's just hard to beat upland it's just you know my argument is if you draw out for an elk tag you put all summer and all fall doing all the scouting and trying to find the patterns of these animals and trying to find out where they're going to be. And then I all kind of boils down to, you know, one weekend, maybe two weekends. If you're lucky, most people have jobs. They can't, you know, take the entire month off. And so if you don't get something, it's just, you just feel crushed. Like you just put in all this effort and you didn't get anything Um, on the flip side though. Obviously if you get something, you just have this super high that, you know, you've just accomplished something that was, super impossible and super difficult and it's really rewarding but for me it's like i don't know if i really care about getting these big trophy class animals it's more i just want to go do something so that's where the appeal to upland is you can travel all over the state all over the country you know if you don't get something one weekend it's not a big deal because you're going to go the next weekend or in three days or you know you're meeting up with some buddies on wednesday and you're going to go hunt for two or three hours and you know, your, your season is basically August to February in Utah. It really doesn't matter if you don't get something or, you know, if you kind of got skunked in one area, well, great, not a big deal. You can go back and try it again. And it's also a lot more fun. You always get to go with buddies and you're always shooting the breeze. And, you know, whereas big game hunting, it's a little bit more, you know, stealth and, you know, concealment and things like that. So I don't know, there's, there's pros and cons to both sides of it. And, you know, I'm not to say if I got some limited entry once in a lifetime tag that I I wouldn't take. I'd be over the moon to go shoot some world class deer or elk. But but right now, upland is kind of fitting my lifestyle really well, and it's just a blast to go bump around on dirt roads and chase these birds. Nice. So, what would you say? Uh, what's your favorite bird to chase? Uh, right now, it's mostly the grouse, whether it's rough grouse or or blue grouse. Mostly just because I, I love being up in the, the thick timber, up in the mountains. You just get such pretty scenery and, you know, you're out in this mountain, you get to smell the pine trees and things like that. And then the birds are always super fun. And, you know, they, they're they really, really uh, challenging because they're super fast and flighty. And, you know, you have all these trees that are in your way. So you get like these little windows where you hope the bird is following the same path of its flight that you saw, it, you know, a millisecond before. So you you're swinging your gun and you kind of shoot right between two trees and you hope that the bird's going to be right there when it, when it hits. And so it's really challenging, really fun, but then it's also really cool and fun terrain, especially in the fall. There's plenty of places where, where me and my buddy, Nick, we go hunting and we're out running with the dogs. And all of a sudden you hear these elk bugling in the background. And, you know, uh, a couple of times we've jumped up and spooked these big bull elks and, so it's just super fun to be up in the woods and in the thick timber. So kind of going off of that, you talked about South Dakota. Where do you all travel to hunt birds? Yeah, so for whatever reason, I don't think there's any real rhyme or reason to it, but we've kind of always made Aberdeen kind of our, our home base. So we always end up going, we always go for about seven to 10 days. But one year we, we spent uh, some time up near, it's called Britain. It's just about an hour north east of Aberdeen and then one year we based right out of Aberdeen itself and then this last year we kind of split our time 
we spent three or four days in Aberdeen and kind of hunted all over. And then we spent another three or four days in the Pierre grasslands. And uh, for us, the driving really doesn't matter. So it's like, we might stay in Aberdeen, but you know, we wake up and we drive two or three hours, you know, down to Huron or Gettysburg or, you know, Sioux city or whatever. Right. We're, we kind of travel all over the place, but inevitably just for whatever reason, it's, it's nice to kind of stay near a bigger city because they have, you know, a sporting goods store. If you run out of something or they have restaurants, you can go grab a bite to eat. Usually there's better Airbnb houses near the bigger cities and stuff. So, but yeah, usually, usually the Aberdeen or the Pierre, Fort Pierre grassland areas. That's kind of where we've kind of honed in on going every year. Jason prairie chickens in the Fort Pierre. grassland. Yeah. I got, uh, Two years ago, I got a prairie chicken and I was so stoked. I was so happy and uh, went and took it to the taxidermist. And it was a pretty close bird when I shot it. And then it was a hot day. So my dog, you know, was big old saliva snot mouth. And so he just, you know, kind of ruined it that way. A lot of the feathers came off. So um, I was super bummed. I That's one of my bucket lists. I got to get another sharp tail or I got to get a sharp tail and I got to get another prairie chicken that's halfway decent halfway presentable so i can get them mounted and those birds are so cool looking they're so fun and they're just different from pheasants where pheasants are just these flying blimps right they're such easy targets that when you get down into the sharp tails and and the prairie chickens and the huns they're just so fast and smaller that it makes it so much more fun because it's you know a challenge i think you're kind of speaking for yourself there i think there's no such thing as an easy target for me (laughs) I think everything's pretty tough to hit. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, I've had those days where you just say, gosh, my gun's crooked because I know I know I'm good at shooting, but my gun must be crooked. <laughs> shooting blanks? Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> it's got to be something because it's not me. Do you guys mostly shoot uh, 12 gauges up there? Uh, I shoot 20 gauge during uh, I'm chasing girls. Yeah, and I shoot uh, just 12 gauge, same gun for everything, basically. Just switch up the ammo. Sometimes I use the wrong ammo. 12 gauge, it's so universal. But yeah, we we ended up switching over to 20 gauge a couple of years ago, mostly because of grouse. When you're when you're huffing up these steep mountains and you're lugging this just battle tank of a shotgun and the ammo's heavier. And uh, my buddy Nick switched over to 20 gauge first and he has a sweet little stoger and uh, it's just so light. And then the ammo's lighter and and then it makes it a little bit more fun because you got to be a little bit faster on the draw and you got to shoulder your shotgun faster and you got to shoot and you got to be a little bit more accurate. So then I switched over and it's just so fun because it's this lighter, faster gun, but but you do lose a little bit when you're going down to the smaller gauges. So I shot all my grouse last year with my 20 gauge. What kind of gun do you have? That 20? Uh, that one is actually not even my gun. That's my grandpa's. But uh, oh, it's... Winchester SX3. I shot all mine with uh two and three quarter. I think it was a two and three quarter inch seven and a half shot. Honestly, I kind of oh. I loved it too. It's just a lot lighter than my not a whole right. lot lighter than my so 12 fast. gauge, but my Benelli's pretty late too, so I don't mind carrying that either. But I think yeah. the plan this year is to go to a over under 20 gauge at some yeah. point. I'm trying to convince yeah, I would the love fiance to get over to, under. Try to convince the fiance to get me one for the wedding, but we'll see if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> she's yeah. got she's got all her things she wants to buy so you got to get at least something out of it <laughs> what do you shoot michael what kind of gun do you have uh i have a winchester sxp and it's kind of a weird story I won it at a gun raffle so it's not uh it's not light by any means because it's the waterfowl version so it's oh, pretty yeah. he- it's pretty heavy uh but it works that's for sure yep shoot straight i mean uh, it shoots crooked. I mean, when I miss the birds, yeah, but for the most part, it shoots straight. Garbage guns are so crooked. <laughs> hey, I've no, seen it's... Michael. I've seen Michael destroy a bird. He tried yelling rooster <laughs> one time, and it was like rooster, bam! Oh, I, have feathers. I have this uh, kind of running joke with my buddy that I just grenade birds because it's like as soon as they get up, I'm pulling the trigger. And before we switched over to 20 gauges, I was shooting that same SXP 12 gauge. And we were up in Northern Utah. We were hunting some pheasants and it's just whipping wind. It's just harsh, harsh wind. And this bird gets up and in me, 
for whatever reason, I think this bird is like 50, 50 yards away. And I'm like, oh man, I'm barely going to reach it. Well, I guess, in, you know, in hindsight, my buddy's telling me his side of the story. He's like, the bird was like a foot off your barrel. And I just grenade this bird and cut it in half. And it's snow on the ground. He just says, just pink mistress everywhere. And I go and pick up this bird. Oh, my dog doesn't even go pick it up. Like he goes and like to grab it. And he's like, what the heck? What do you want me to grab? So we walk over and we pick it up and this bird is just cut in half. And I was like, I could have sworn this bird was like 50 yards away. And my buddy's like, no, it was like right off the, right off your barrel. I'm with you. It's either all or nothing. I let him get too far out. I miss. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You can't let it, you can't give him the opportunity. You just gotta smoke him while you can. Then they get to me. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. Then Wyatt cleans them up. We had a few of those like opening weekend of sharp tail. You guys, you guys, they just kept on coming down the line. That was last resort. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that one flew basically right up over my head. I tried to shoot it, nothing was coming in so hot. And I'm like, I took one shot. I'm like, yeah, I was pretty sure I was going to miss that one. And why cleaned it up though for me? Yeah. As you're pulling the trigger, you're like, this isn't going to work. Yep. <laughs> what a, oh, well. That was awesome. a good trip. That was a good trip though. A lot of, a lot of nice sharpie shot. A lot of good memories too. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like it doesn't even matter if you shoot anything, but you know it's always oh. a bonus if you do. But just oh, it, do- it, it does matter. <laughs> it matters to you because you hit them. I think if I went out for three days and I didn't come back with anything, the fiance would be like, "What the hell did you guys do? Just drink beer the whole time?" Oh man! Oh. So like four years ago or something like that, we went up to South Dakota, and <laughs> when we get up there, like we found out that South Dakota had had like three hundred percent of their water. Like every field was completely flooded, like just kind of garbage hunting, but we didn't care. I mean, you know, we walk all day in Utah and never see a pheasant. So if we walk all day and see one pheasant in South Dakota, it's, it's already a win. But I think between the four of us that went, I think we got a total of like five birds that entire week, just because everything was completely socked in, couldn't get access to it. And then all the good crops were still private land, so you couldn't hunt those. So so I am all too familiar with traveling and spending all the money and all the gas just to come home with a couple of birds. Yeah. But it's whatever, you know. So I think we probably so kind of at the end of our show, Ben, we kind of yeah. ask ask people questions. We usually have a set. I think we probably have already answered this one, but going into question one, what's your favorite upland bird to hunt? Uh, yeah, probably just the grouse, the mountain grouse, and then anything in the Dakotas, the prairie chickens, the sharp tails, pheasants, any of that stuff. But yeah, mostly grouse. Our second question we got you, and that was kind of my bet on that first one. I kind of jumped the gun. But uh, the second question <laughs> we have for you, what's your favorite dog breed? Uh, so I love I love short hairs, but if it were up to me, I would have all the dogs. It's a great answer. I'm one of those guys like, I'll just be watching YouTube videos and like, before you know it, I'm like waking my wife up and I'm like, Hey, we got to get a uh, Gordon setter. She's like, what in the heck are you talking about? Or, Hey, I just found this sweet dog breed. We gotta, we gotta get this dog. She's like, go back to sleep. Shut up. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love all the dogs. So kind of a so piggyback p- off that one. What's the, uh, what's your favorite dog breed that you've ever almost hunted uh, behind? So I've really only hunted over short hairs, but I would love to, I'd love to shoot, and hunt with a cocker spaniel i would really love to do some like there's a guy on instagram called infidel outdoors he's down in texas he has these drops and they are just savages they're so cool to watch i think that would be just a total riot to go shoot some coyotes or something like that and see these dogs work with that stuff but uh i don't know if if there's a wrong answer to heck i'd go shoot and hunt over a you know a mutt if it was if it was up to me, I just think it's fun to get out, and I don't know if you could go wrong with any breed. Yeah, well, I think I we can uh, we can arrange the whole uh, hunting behind a cocker spaniel thing if you'd like. Dude, I'm not <laughs> kidding. I am down. You say when, I'll be there. You just tell us when you're coming. So a little plan for it. That's funny. I'm actually on the road right now. I'll be there in about 20 minutes. <laughs> I'll unlock my door. That's a, <laughs> yeah. that must be traveling at the speed of sound. I think long <laughs> yeah. trip from Utah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going into question three, what's your favorite hunting memory? Oh, I don't know. There's a ton of them, but uh, one of the cooler uh, retrieves that I've had with, with my dog was a couple years ago, we were 
hunting up in some really thick timber for grouse and this bird gets up and I shoot it and I kind of almost start to panic internally because I'm like I think I just shot a turkey like yeah crap like what did I just do and so uh my dog brings back this just airliner of a bird this huge huge bird and it's just this monster blue grouse it was awesome it was super super cool I have a video of him bringing it back it was kind of a bummer it was one of those ones where you know between the dog and with it being so hot and you know shooting a little quick the taxidermy wasn't the best you know it has this monster monster tail fan that really should have been displayed better but you know I shot it pretty hard and so the taxidermist did whatever he could but it's just it doesn't do it justice but this bird was just a freaking cruiser just so big so that was that was a really good one that was really fun it sounds like it must have been big if you mistook it for a turkey (laughs) I'm not kidding I was like crap like this is not gonna be good I'm gonna have to you know I can either do the shady thing and not report it but I was like I've got to call into the wildlife resource and tell them I just shot a turkey and you know take my lickings but after a minute I was like no I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it's a grouse so uh going on to question four for you now what's the favorite place that you have ever traveled to uh to hunt um oh easy just any of the Dakotas areas um that whole area I love it I love the fact that there's just all these small little towns and there's not like just some big massive city and, you know, like this big megatropolis. Um, I love the fact that, you know, you roll into small towns, everybody knows everybody and you get that kind of sweet, cool hometown vibe and all these little cities and all the farmlands and farm equipment everywhere. And, and then the hunting itself is awesome. So anywhere up in the, in the farm country area, I love that stuff. So going on to question five, what are you looking forward to with your 2022 season? Um, I would love to check sharp tail and a new prairie chicken off the, off the board. Um, but more than that, I, this year I would love to get my daughter to just come out with me. You know, even if we don't shoot anything, she's only four. So the guns would probably still scare her a little bit, but just getting her out and getting her a little bit more involved. And then I'd love for my wife to shoot something. I think that would be a, uh, riot do you and your wife hunt together then at all uh no no she she's not uh she's not opposed to it but hunting is not her jam she she could care less for it but i think it'd be fun to to get her out at least a few times this year nice so i treat trying to get the fiance too but she she said she couldn't do it so right which, which is fine but she doesn't mind shooting a gun so i gotta watch myself i guess right <laughs> i've seen her shoot a gun so i really do Going on to question six, what shotgun are you currently shooting? And what would be one that would be on your wish list? So right now I shoot uh, Winchester SX4, the 20 gauge. And then, gosh, it must have been two years ago by now. I placed an order for a SHOT Show special. It's an SX4. It's got kind of like this old vintage camo on it. And uh, sometime between now and never, I hope to get it. But Utah is Utah's browning country. So this year, maybe next year, but we'll see how things shake out. I'd love to pick up a, a Browning Satori or some sort Sweet of Browning 16. over and under. Yeah, I'd love to get a 28 gauge or a 16 gauge, something a little bit more unique. So that's, I guess, my dream gun. I say on every episode, I think, is uh, <laughs> the, the Sweet 16. And they had one at uh, Pheasant Fest, and I was, like, drooling over it. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I if wouldn't mind getting, to- like, a CZ or maybe some of those other brands I so like it's almost like a sin to get anything other than browning when you live in utah so when you uh were at pheasant fest did you have a chance to go check out some of the guns or were you pretty much at your booth the whole time i was at the booth most of the time but uh, when you're an exhibitor you they want you there like 30 or 40 minutes before the show opens every day which was kind of a waste of time for me because it was literally like i'd walk to my booth and like my booth's already set up i don't have to do any setup every morning so yeah. like just a couple booths over was the big CZ uh, booth. So I went and walked over there and checked out their, their project Upland guns and some of those stuff. And um, like Super I said, nice I, I would really not be mad at all to get one of those, but I think to we get sp- kind of something classy would be like a Browning or something. We spent too much time in the guns. We're like, Oh, <laughs> seriously. I'm, I'm pretty oh. sure I picked up every single CZ shotgun they had there. Yeah, shoulder it to see oh that's comfy oh yeah that one's comfy yep. too how how mad would the wife and fiance be if we put in an order for guns 
he'd only be mad if they found out. So, oh, they'd find out somehow. That's my actually, actually, shit. probably not. She doesn't even know how many guns I have, so I'm sitting pretty good right now. Yeah, <laughs> until our bank account's shared, then she'll You're right. Yeah, you better do it quick then. Yeah, I was like, we were at the Savage. We've all kind of we've like that Savage Stevens uh, over under. That one seems like it's a pretty nice gun. I've heard those are actually pretty rad. That would be another one to consider. They don't break the bank, I don't think, either. Like, it's a over-under that's under, under $900. That's the problem with some of those kind of higher echelon over-unders is, yeah. gosh, I don't, A, I don't even know if I have the funds for this, but B, I don't even know if I want to go shoot this because it's so expensive. Right. But whatever, it's just a, just a gun, I guess. Yeah. Well, we had a guy on the show a couple of shows ago that said he, one guy who was out hunting with was something with a $10,000 gun and just left it in the grass. And <laughs> could you imagine? I was like, I can't imagine even having a $10,000 yeah. gun. Must be nice. So, well, Nothing better hit the bird for me. No right. joke, dude. Going on to question seven. Probably already talked about this as well. But what's the craziest thing you have ever welded? We added this question just for you. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> we've done some pretty wild stuff. We've done anything from. We've done stuff. We built stuff for the Department of Homeland Security. We've done stuff for the Border Patrol. We built some some kind of unique brackets and stuff like that for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, That's pretty cool. Kind of done a bunch of different random stuff with welding. You kind of got to be you kind of got to be down for anything. We've done some food grade on site stainless TIG welding, which for most of your listeners are probably like, I don't know what any of that means. It doesn't. It, who cares? Uh, but for a welder, it's, you know, it's a little bit more challenging. It's a little bit more tricky. Uh, we did one where we had to do some repairs on this giant mixer. This mixer was like the size of a Volkswagen bus, just huge with all these big tines on it that you can get all caught up in. And that one was pretty gnarly. We had to climb inside that. And, you know, obviously we shut down the machines and do all sorts of proper tag out procedures to make sure it's safe to be in there. But, you know, you're contorting your body and all these weird weird positions just trying to get this little tiny two inch weld done and uh with it being stainless it has to hit certain strict guidelines that you have to do it just right and otherwise you could contaminate the metal which you know if it's interacting with food is a is a big problem so stuff like that's pretty tricky but i don't know as a, as a welder you kind of get to see all sorts of kind of crazy stuff from you know, high-end, super performance, you know, Ferraris and Lamborghinis and doing parts for that all the way down to, you know, you go into somebody's basement and you weld a beam in, in their in their house. So you kind of get to see the gambit of, of all sorts of kind of crazy wild stuff. So like when you do that stainless steel, like with your the food industry, does like a welding inspector have to come and inspect that for it to be like used again? Sometimes. Sometimes they have um, inspectors that have to come and, and sign off that, certain equipment is up to certain standards a lot of times though it's it's not as long as it's kind of a integrity thing where if you do a weld and you know it's bad um, and it's part of a food grade where food's going to be in contact with it then you kind of just man up and you cut it out and you you know do it again kind of thing so um, but it it really kind of depends on who your client is and how strict they are and what the equipment is used for but yeah that's a it's a safe safe bet to say that an inspector would or could be involved so ben we're getting kind of close to our time and that uh you have any last questions for us no i'm just uh i'm just thankful to be uh invited on and you guys have been super gracious to to let me come on but i just can't wait for the fall and we'll have to kind of figure out who's going where and what your guys' schedules are but I think we ought to just plan on having us come up and, you know, at least grab lunch or dinner, but love to go try to shoot some birds with you guys this fall. So I don't know if you're a deer hunter, but we planned a trip last year. That was pretty freaking sweet over deer hunting, but what time of year is that? Like first week in November, we went and shot, we shot our limit of uh, pheasants and Hungarians in what, four four hours, Michael, we kind of started, we got hunting late. We kind of drove around and started hunting around 11. Awesome. We're done by three, yeah. three of us, and we could have went and chased sharpies, but we kind of just scouted out more land for the next day for pheasants. But like, sure, like the day yeah. be- but like the day before, I shot like the North Dakota triple. I shot a 
probably just made that up. I don't think anybody ever called that that. But <laughs> <laughs> I shot a sharp tail. I shot a sharp tail, some huns, and a couple pheasants all in one day. That's awesome. I do that all the time. I just make up awards that I've won. <laughs> the, the North Dakota trip. And, and yeah, that's super prestigious. Only, only I think one person yeah. done that. We just kind of want to shout out your uh, where people can find you on. Yeah, yeah. Your socials. Uh, so for Work. the kennels, it's just on Instagram, bpro underscore kennels. And then um, there's some links to there that if anybody is interested, they can jump over to our, our welding page, bpro underscore welding. And then if anybody actually cares, my just personal page is just Benjamin Proctor. So everybody, if you guys want to go check them out and give Ben a, a follow and check out his kennels, they're really sweet looking kennels and get in contact with him if you want to set up an order with them and say thank you for following us along and we appreciate the following that we've gotten and we uh, look to continue to grow and appreciate you guys' all support thanks again for tuning in another episode of the Upland Nomads podcast